Yes, good morning. It is Cliff Central. This is Animal Central. My name is Jonathan Sinclair. I'm with you for the next hour. Uh, now, my partner in crime, who we are all used to and uh, fond of, is not here today. Sharon Dale uh, is having some personal problems, car problems to be exact, but uh, she will be joining us on the line in just a few moments. Of course, Sharon Dale, the editor of Canine Zone magazine. Now, we have quite a packed show coming up for you today. Of course, we'll be talking to Sharon, who'll be bringing us some news. Then we are talking to Melissa Schreiber. Now, Melissa Schreiber works for an organization in KZN that really takes care of Pets in underprivileged communities. Uh, this organization, of course, is the Dr. Mike Hardwick Foundation. Then uh, this is the final uh, sort of edition of our series that we've been doing with the NSPCA. Uh, today we are talking to and- Andres Fenter. Now, this is kind of a tough topic because it's about abattoirs. Um, just looking at the treatment of farm animals and animals that are used for food. And how do we balance that as people who may eat meat, but at the same time we consider ourselves to be animal lovers? Uh, I know I battle with that personally, um, but yeah, maybe we'll get some clarity on that and to know really where to get your meat from and to know where the animals are treated humanely. And then finally, we have Catherine Matthews. Now, Catherine Matthews is from Pets. Now, this is an organization that also does amazing work right here in Joburg, uh, in the townships of Alexandra and uh, Dipslut, and many other places as well. They really uh, take care of pets in underprivileged communities where people cannot afford to sort of inoculate their pets, spay and neuter their pets. Uh, and also, a lot of the time, these animals are kept in small enclosures and are often chained up because of the fact that people are sort of underprivileged there. They don't have big yards. They may not have a yard at all. So then really, what do you do with your pet? You chain them up. So it really is more about educating the people of what they can do with their pets in these situations. And yeah, we're going to find out a lot more about that. But we will get a Sharon on the line in just a few moments. Stay with us. This is Animal Central. We will be right back. CliffCentral.com Yes, this is Animal Central. I'm Jonathan Sinclair with you for the next hour talking about your love for animals, my love for animals, and really a show that isn't about the humans, but it really, we focus on animals and how we can make this planet better for ourselves and them. Now, on the line, I have Melissa Schreiber. Now, Melissa is from the Dr. Mike Hardwich Foundation, which is in KZN. Now, um, the person at the heart of this organization, Dr. Mike Lowry, and I really want to find out why his surname is Lowry and not Hard. But anyway, we'll find that out from Melissa. He's a well-known Hillcrest vet and he's author of three books. Now, the story goes that uh, three years ago, he realized that in his community, um, it's a very affluent community. And just over the hill, uh, and I think a lot of us can sort of identify this, just over the hill, there's a very underprivileged community. And he realized how the difference of the the sort of economic differences in the animals, how they really were showing that in in the underprivileged area, the animals did not look as good as, of course, the privileged area and how this really touched his heart. And he 
got his own funds. He funded himself at first and he went in and he spayed, he neutered, he inoculized, he educated and he really um, started making a difference. But of course, eventually, you know, funding does become an issue. Funding runs out. Uh, this is when they decided to become a non-profit uh, organization and they've been running for qu- quite a while. So uh, producer Pelissa, do we have Melissa back? Hi, Melissa. Hi, John. How hey, are you? good. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Great. Lovely to be on air with you. No, no, awesome. Now, t- explain to us um, exactly what you do and what the Mike Hardwich Foundation is essentially all about. Okay, so I work as the the fundraiser and also as a helping hand there with the foundation. So what we're all about is obviously caring for the pets and giving the pets belonging to the underprivileged, the very necessary veterinary care that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get because the owners cannot afford it. So basically our purpose is to vaccinate and deworm um, these pets belonging to the disadvantaged communities. We also um, sterilize them, and then we try to educate these people um personally, as well as within the schools, within the disadvantaged areas, about caring for their animals, you know, what to look out for, um, and then also giving them our contact details for in case of any other further problems that might come in the future, that we can then help them at absolutely no cost to the owners. Mm, this is amazing work you're doing. Now talk to me, um, the person at the heart of this organization who started it is Dr. Mike Lowry. Yes, that, that's Dr. Mike Lowry. Um, he, he's been a vet for over 40 years, um, and we started the foundation approximately three years ago. Um, he, he's, he's a wonderful man with a, with a great, great heart for animals. He actually goes by Mark Hardwich as an author. There were some, um, legal issues with regards to using his real surname. But um, Hardwich is actually his mother's maiden name. That's why he's known as that for the author. But then within the practice, he's known as Dr. Mark Lowry. Okay, now, a beginning, he didn't really, this wasn't his speciality going in and rescuing animals. He was an author. He was a vet. So what really changed that he started this foundation and really sort of dedicated himself to helping underprivileged animals and people for that matter? Oh, okay. So um, he's been obviously a vet for a long time. He's been working with wild animals. He's done um, horses, you know, the race industry. He's done cows, and now he's focusing on the domestic animals. Um, he really just saw that within the disadvantaged communities, there was a need for these pets to be sterilized. They they really just breed uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And there weren't many organizations that were focusing on this. Yes, there are some, but if they had done a hundred um pets within a month, that's that would be a lot. And mm-hmm. within with the number of animals that are breeding uncontrollably, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. So then he decided no, he would set up the foundation then so that we could contribute to to this, to this, you know, action of trying to control the breeding. Um, most of the owners don't want the animals. They, um, they come to us. We have many pregnant dogs that come to us and we say to the owners, do you not want to wait for them to have their babies? But they really just can't afford it. And they say, no, you know, rather us do it the humane way than what they get, try to get rid of the puppies afterwards. 
It really is a challenge when people are battling to take care of themselves and then they're not expected, but they have a responsibility of taking care of a pet too when you can barely afford to put food on the plates of your children. So that is quite a challenge. But for you guys as an organization, funding is also a challenge. Um, Talk to me about that. It really is. It's it's difficult asking people for money. Mm. Um, we are mostly funded by um, individuals, people who just you know have a heart for animals. They donate. They want they want to know where their money is going, and I think that's what sets us aside from most other organisations. Every for it's so it's five hundred rand at the moment um, for every dog that we um, deworm and, and sterilise, mm-hmm. and then every donor then receives detailed documentation of every animal that they um, had helped us to treat along with a photo of the animal and then a certificate to say thank you you know for their contributions to our work but it is it's very difficult especially with um, corporates Mm -hmm. they're mostly wanting to focus on um, charities that focus on education and you know animals and I mean I mean sorry children um, and people so for them to be able to, you know, donate to us is quite a challenge because these dogs are hidden away in the valleys where we aren't. We mm. don't see them every day. So, yeah. you know, it's not even in the back of our minds. So for us, my biggest challenge as the fundraiser is to break, make them aware of this, you know, mm. that the, these animals need our help so desperately. Um, and But we mostly, mostly get through um, donations through individuals that just have the heart mm. for animals. Yeah. No, I really I commend you guys for the work that you're doing. Um, now, just why don't you tell me how people can get involved, uh, how people can stay in contact with you, uh, how they can donate possibly? Okay, so we have a website. They can go to www.mhfoundation.org.za. And then they can also email us at foundation at mhfoundation.org.za. And then we also have a Facebook page, and they can get to our Facebook and Instagram pages through our website. There's links there. And just before you know, we let you go, I'm very interested to know, Dr. Mike Lowry's written three books. What are those three books? Do you know? Yes. he. So he's written basically memoirs of mm-hmm. him being a vet. Okay. The first one is called The Lion and the Lamb. Uh-huh. Then it's um, the second book is called The Tiger and the Tortoise. And then the third book is called The... Um, Oh, no, no, no. The second one, sorry, is the rhino and the rat. And the third one is the tiger and the tortoise. And then um, all the proceeds that we get from these books um, go towards the foundation. So he makes no money off of them. All right. No, thank you so much for the work that you do. And uh, I hope that whenever you guys are in Joburg, uh, possibly even if Dr. Mike Lowry himself, we'd love to have you guys in the studio. Oh, thank you, Jono. It was lovely speaking to you. All right. Have a good day, Melissa. Thank, thank you, you Jono. So you too. All right, so that's uh, Melissa Schreiber from the Dr. Mike Hardwick Foundation in KZN telling us about the amazing work they do for underprivileged animals. Now, uh, like I said earlier, we battled to get my co-host Sharon on the line, Sharon Dale, editor of Canine Zone magazine, but we do seem to have her. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Jono. 
I'm sitting here in my own home today with <laughs> my car engine scattered on a mechanic's floor. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not there today, and I hope you don't feel too lonely. No, it, it is always lonely without you, Sharon, but uh, <laughs> thank goodness we can join you over the phone. Um, now, you will be back with us next week, of course. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. Uh, this morning when you phoned me and you said, Jono, I can't come in, you said there is something I do have to say. Uh, yes. There is this one thing that's really on your heart. Tell us what that is, Sharon. Absolutely. It's just two events. You know, like your previous guest was saying, these shelters, these people who do so much for animals are desperate for money. And there's some wonderful fundraising uh, events going on. I just want to mention the Dancers Love Dogs event. It's a wonderful initiative. They've been going for years. These are dancers that give up their time to put on these amazing shows. And the next one is coming up now on the 20th of June, which is just around the corner. It's in Cape Town at the Artscape Opera House. Mm -hmm. The entry fee is 250 rand. Every cent of that goes towards mass sterilization. So please support them. Bookings are at CompuTicket. You can also look at Dancers Love Dogs on Facebook. And we'll also put up the details on my Canine Zone Facebook page. That's the one that's really going to be an amazing event to get out there. The second one is for those who can't get to Durban for this year's Durban July. Uh, an event company called It's a Wrap is putting on this incredible VIP event with celebrities. You really are going to be pampered on the day. It's on the 4th of July at VOGs, which is in Sunning Hill. It's a day of glitz, glamour. You can come dressed up. You can watch the races. You can even place your bets while you are going to be wined and dined in absolute style. And this event, 10% uh, of all the proceeds are going to the Animal Anti-Cruelty League, who do so much for dogs, horses, and, and even donkeys. So those tickets you need to book now because it's essential. It's going to fill up quickly. You can email Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, at capital 5, C-A-P-I-T-A-L-F-I-V-E, or you can call Cheryl on 083-272-5317. So that's basically what I just wanted to push this morning. And I'd like your previous guest to get in touch with me because I'd like to promote those, those books that she talks about in my magazine, Canine Zone. Yeah, I totally actually want to get Dr. Mike Lowry himself in here, Sharon. We have to hook that up. No, we do. Definitely. It's, it's really, again, animal angels, the people out there that mm. do so much. Now, Sharon, um, our next guest, uh, just before we let you go, uh, Andrew Sventer from the NSPCA Abattoirs. Now, uh, this is a tough topic. Is there anything you want me to ask him? You know, basically, you know, people need to be aware of what goes on out there and, and where the meat that they eat comes, comes from. You know, with, with literally thousands and thousands of animals being slaughtered every day, it just, you know, we need to be a little bit more aware. But I think that's going to be an awesome interview and then also the lady from Pets and I believe she's brought in a doggy. Yes, such a beautiful doggy, a rescue. Uh, her name is Jessie. Uh, she has quite a backstory. She was hit by a taxi and uh, she's oh. been through quite a bit. But uh, I must say she looks very happy now. So we will be putting those photos up later as well of Jessie, the uh, rescue from Pets. And of course, Sharon, have a good week. I hope your you car comes Donna, right. Thank you. Please give her a big doggy cuddle for me and okay. I will leave you to it and I'll be back next week. All right, Sharon. Thanks. Thanks, so Bye. Bye. All right. So that's uh, Sharon Dale, my co-host, uh, editor of Canine Zone magazine. She'll be back with us next week. You know, we all have car trouble sometimes. Uh, it, it happens. Um, yeah. On the other side of this, we are speaking to Andres Fenter from the NSPCA. It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. 
Yeah, so any questions you want uh, to ask Andres, uh, just let us know. Um, now, welcome, Andres, Andres Fenter. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Yes. Now, tell us exactly what your role is at the NSPCA. Well, I manage the National Farm Animal Protection Unit for the National Council of SPCAs. And we have a team of um, staff that, or qualified inspectors, senior inspectors that go around the country and they follow up on abattoirs where animals are slaughtered. They follow up on where animals are sourced on farms, um, the transportation of these animals right through to the sale yards. So we have a t- dedicated team that concentrates across the country on um, just where people's meat actually are sourced from and how they are produced. Okay, so this I picture being quite a tough job, uh, especially being the actual inspector who has to go and see these things happening. Um, does that get tough at times? It gets very tough. Um, some of the forgotten animals people, um, there are still people, believe it or not, that think that if you're a vegetarian that you can eat chicken. Um, chickens are one of the most mass-produced um, animals in our country at the moment. And um, the way they are produced from being hatched right up to slaughter is quite a very intensive um, process mm-hmm. and and people don 't realize um, how much uh, effort and how much energy goes into producing this this type of meat mm-hmm. um, but the welfare of the animals is at, mm-hmm. at, at at the heart and and we are engaging with all of the major companies that produce this um, the the farmers in trying to educate them as well as the public, as to how these animals need to be better looked after. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, fortunately for the, for the animals, the, the better they are looked after, the better quality products the companies get at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, making changes within the industry that's been embedded for decades, it's, it's a huge step. It's a massive, massive drive. Um, I don't think people realize the energy that the NSPCA Farm Animal Unit put into the farming of these mm-hmm. animals. And I'm talking crocodiles, ostriches, um, chickens, cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, you name it. Mm. Now, what exactly is the NSPCA's stance on this? Are they just... How does it work? Do you get a complaint, uh, then you go and see, or do you just inspect at random these places? What are you looking for? No, we, we're very proactive. Um, unlike a local SPCA where they may have an inspector and they get complaints from time to time, um, we work on uh, proactive objectives every year, and we take a couple of issues every year, and we tackle those those issues. Um, and we go from farm to farm across the country at random without mm. notice to the farms, to the abattoirs, to the sale yards. Mm. Um, we sometimes have uh, transportation um, roadblocks with, with the Department of Traffic oh, across the country. We do um, inspections at the border where animals are imported, exported. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there's a couple of issues that, that, that we're driving proactively, like uh, we're trying to stop the export of live animals by sea. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually um, sheep and, and cattle that is exported to Mauritius at the moment. That's a huge issue. issue. Um, those, those ships are not – these the, the South African animals are not um, – 
they don't do well on these ships ships mm-hmm. when they when they're traveling and we have a huge problem with that mm-hmm. then then we we're sitting with uh, gestation crates where um, female pigs that, that have been impregnate, impregnated um, they they stand in a in a gestation crate um, and they cannot move all they can do is lie down and, and, and stand up um, until uh, birth and that's that's a huge problem those animals have no life Mm. Um, and that's a whole cycle that that's all that sow is doing is producing pig, piglets um and and we have a huge drive by 2616 we want those um sows out of those crates or in a in a bigger space where they do have freedom to move around and to express natural behavior currently that is not being provided for so there's a couple of proactive issues we're working with and for in in the background Together with uh, physical inspections at at these facilities, as I said. Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, when I, I hear that you're a farm animal inspector, I picture you just going to the farms. But like you say, the story you've just told about these pigs being transported to Mauritius and the, the terrible conditions, I suppose it extends to wherever a farm animal may be. You're not only going to find a farm animal on a farm. So that really increases the challenge for you guys here. We, we actually, there's, there's a saying that, that um, uh, international saying um, from farm to fork. We actually... Um, try and and do that. We go right from where the animal is born, mm-hmm. right up until the animal is, is slaughtered. Once the animal is slaughtered, that's no longer our problem. That becomes a health issue. So if that animal was ill or there's something wrong with that, then the Department of Health must must deal with that. But um, the manner in which that animal is uh, born, bred, kept, housed, transported, mm-hmm. and even the the method that is used to slaughter that animal, that must be so humane, so calm, right through the process that animals shouldn't have any stress or uh, mm. any unnecessary stress. And we're quite passionate ab- about about those those issues. Well, let's talk about this. Let's get into the thing that we all know happens as a meat eater myself. Um, I try put it out of my mind when I'm eating my meat or steak or chicken or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, as humans, we all know how that meat got there and what had to happen for it to get there. So let's talk about this process. Uh, when you go into an abattoir, um, what is that like? I mean, I, I don't want to think about it, but this is important. What happens there? You have to realize that the people that do what we do are animal lovers. Um, we, we, we have a passion for, for the animals. It's it's the toughest job to actually go in there knowing what's going to happen w- with those animals. Mm-hmm. But what makes us sleep at the end, in, end of the day is that we can make a difference in how that animal was handled, um, how that animal was at, at the at facility it, it itself. You, you're dealing with um, with staff that, that have not been trained properly, that mm. don't know farm animals. Um, every day there's there's a new person because it, it's a high turnover at these abattoirs staff-wise. Um, at the moment, the most important person at the abattoir is a health inspector, and and he's inside the facility looking at the at the raw carcasses once the animal is slaughtered. Mm-hmm. There's no real monitoring process except for uh, where abattoirs have consciously taken the decision to do so to monitor the welfare of the animals while they're waiting to be slaughtered, while they're being handled, how they're being offloaded, um, even if animals stand over, whether they've been fed, watered, etc., etc. 
Um, then we go as far as looking at, at the slaughter e- equipment, the, the, the knives, the, the captive bolts that is used mm. to, to stun these animals, the electrical devices. We've even gone as far as through the Livestock Welfare Coordinating Committee, establishing um, that the electrical stunning of pigs, which is the most common way of to, to stun pigs before they, they, they are slaughtered, um, that's being investigated at the moment because we found that um, it is not as effective as, peop- as people thought it would. Mm-hmm. So we're busy right now with the um, abattoirs and with the authorities to try and institute better processes to improve that, um, to make sure that the animal does not wake up while it's being slaughtered. Um, and people don't know this. People don't don't realize what goes on mm. um, every day before that meat is packaged and put on the shelf. You mentioned the staff at these facilities, and it must be difficult for them seeing the number of animals that come through there. And uh, seeing all of that going on on a daily basis, I think they become desensitized, and they begin to see the animals as objects uh, as opposed to a, a living creature. And I think that's the challenge. So do you perhaps try educate the staff when you see that the staff are undertrained? They're not treating the animals uh, correctly. What's, I mean, do you dive right in there and start causing a scene or do you, is your first approach education? No, our first, first approach is education. Firstly, what, what, what we look, look at is it, is it the person or is it the equipment? Mm. If it's the, the person, then yes, we, we will educate that person. But the problem is we educate him today, tomorrow he's gone. Mm. There's a new you person. Like I said, the high turnover staff. Very, very high, high turnover. Um, and if it's the equipment, then um, we actually stop the slaughter until the equipment is is fixed and until we know that there's a maintenance program going on. Um, I must mention that South Africa is um, a one country in the world where an independent animal welfare organisation. We're not connected to government whatsoever. Mm. We have the authority to go into abattoirs and monitor these things independently and fix these things. Um, the rest of the world don't really have that. They have governments monitoring government um, and government monitoring private sector. We're the only organisation that we know of that do that um, independently as an animal welfare organisation. Okay, well, sure. Let's stop talking about these abattoirs now. I want to just know, how do you balance, I mean, how do you feel now working in this industry, seeing what you're seeing? How do you feel about the meat industry? Do you feel that there are, it is okay in, at the end of the day, there are certain brands that do treat animals humanely, so it's fine to eat those brands? How do you feel about this? There are certain well-known brands that do go out of their way to make sure that the animal is well looked after and not stressed. Um, some of these well-known brands have their own abattoirs on their facility. They don't mm-hmm. transport these animals off of the facility to a privately owned ab- abattoir, purely because the stress on that animal by loading it, putting it on a, on a truck and trucking it, um, that animal loses weight and they mm-hmm. lose profit. Um, so, yes, there are um, facilities that, that look at the welfare of the animal, but it's not in the in the interest of the welfare of the animal. It's the interest of protecting their, their profit. The heavier and the better quality meat they get out of that animal, um, the the more profit they're going to make. Uh, and and that is that is a big drive. We we don't have a problem with with that as long as they do it um, for the animal's sake. Mm-hmm. Now, as a consumer, when I'm going through my grocery store and you come to the big fridges, you see everything. Is there anything I should be looking out for? Uh, I mean, 
or is the process over? I, there's nothing I can do to change it. I mean, is there certain signs of labeling that you know this is a good one to go for or not? I mean, <laughs> it's one issue that, that we, in the background again, we, we've lodged a formal complaint with the uh, national consumer complaints, um, division. Um, because last year in, I think it was in April, they, they published the, uh, consumer protection published a regulation that says that all produced meat, meat products or packaged meat or dried meat needs to be labeled in terms of the way it was produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and that has not been in, in, in enforced. Um, for, for instance, some of the, um, uh, some of the Jewish practices slaughter animals at the abattoir. And only certain part of that meat is then processed for that community, for the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. The rest of that meat is sold as normal meat. Okay. But, but the whole slaughter process, they don't, do not pre-stun that, that animal. That animal, um, is po- what we call post-stun. So once the animal's throat is cut, they wait 20 seconds and they then stun the, the, the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, now the consumer, or the retailer is not aware of what process happened mm-hmm. when that meat was packaged and put on, on the shelf. And that is not labeled. Um, that is just one um, example that I can use where the labeling issue in South Africa, um, there's an awareness at government level and private level that, that South Africa needs to come on board with, with labeling because the whole tra- tracking and tracing issue of Food products is, is a problem. But we have asked that retailers be more aware of where the meat comes from, how it was produced, and that that label is then put on those packaged meat in terms of the new regulation 825 that was published last year. It's really interesting. You guys have quite a big task. There's so much that goes into it that you don't think about. It's not just the inspection. What is your, have you ever had prosecutions where you've gone into a farm and things have been so terrible that you've decided to prosecute? Plenty. Uh, we have, I think, about 20 odd dockets from the two years out, outstanding. Mm-hmm. One major issue or case is the Tani Modise farm. That, that yes. docket is still outstanding. That's a big one in the news, eh? It is. Um, we've also had, um, several, um, other farms, private farms like dairy farms. Two dairy farms have, was found guilty of animal cruelty. Um, and, and those are dairy farms. That's not even where, that's where milk is produced, not, not the, not the meat. Mm-hmm. So we've had a couple of those. We've had chicken farms that, that, um, was prosecuted successfully. Um, and we've got outstanding pros- prosecutions currently that we're constantly following up with the police as to what is happening, where those dockets are. And we, we act as the investigating officer. When we go into a farm and there's cruelty, that mm. becomes a crime scene. We then build the docket, we build the evidence, we get the vet statements, we produce mm. all the evidence for the police for that docket to go to, to court. I'm just wondering when you go into a situation, who do you target? Do you target the owner of the farm? Because I would imagine the farmer himself is not actually the one who's dealing with the animals on a day-to-day basis. He's not actually the one who, if there is abuse going on, he's not really the one who I imagine is feeding them. I suppose his workers, his laborers are doing that for him. So who do you target in an abuse case or a cruelty case? There's always a responsibility. In terms of the Animals Protection Act, um, an owner is classified as any person who's got custody, control, possession or charge of that animal. Mm -hmm. So 
when we do target, uh, 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 not target, when we do find cruelty and we lay charges, we usually lay charges in terms of, um, firstly, the owner of the farm, secondly, the manager who was responsible, and then thirdly, the people on the ground, because the owner is responsible to make sure that the manager um, knows what he's doing and he's educated enough, and the manager in turn is um, has the same responsibility towards the staff on on the ground. And there has to be proper monitoring processes in 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 place. Mm-hmm. So you really go after everyone involved, which Correct. is good. But, but which also adds to the logistics of it and the I suppose the funding of it. It's it's, it's a huge. huge process. It's huge. I can imagine from start to finish, from the time the the cruelty is noticed till the time the person or the people get prosecuted. I can imagine that workload and how much the workload is just continuing to come in. So what kind of a team do you have uh, working with you? Um, a dedicated team. We're a small team at the moment of uh, four staff, but we also act as backup um, to local SPCAs across the country. We have SPCAs, 90 SPCAs scattered around the country who all have inspectors. And we would we would work um, on a on a backup basis where if they have a big problem we would go and, and, and assist them and vice versa. Okay, now I want to ask you personally, why did you decide this career? Why did you decide you want to make a difference in the lives of animals? <laughs> I think it's it's a passion that I've always had. Um, I come from a background of training dogs in in the army, and um, and. I was appointed as as a trainee inspector back in 1993, mm. and since then I've just I've just realised that I, that I have a passion for for what I do. I have mm-hmm. a passion for protecting animals. These are our creatures, beings that we rely on every day. Mm. We we feed off of them. We're nothing without them. They don't have a voice. They don't have a choice. They they have to go where we as humans steer them to go. They have to get slaughtered so that we can be fed. Someone needs to stand up and speak on their behalf. Mm. I really commend the work that you do, and I uh, thank you for joining us on Animal Central today. Um, how can people perhaps stay in touch with you or perhaps help you? We have a very active Facebook page. Um, uh, I think it's for slash National Council of SPCAs, um, and they can email us at nspca um, at nspca.co.za, and we also have a Twitter account. I think it's hashtag nspca. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Andres Fenter from the NSPCA. Now, on the other side of this, we are speaking to Catherine Matthews from PETS. Like I said earlier, this organization is doing amazing work in underprivileged communities to make lives of animals better. It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. Yes, this is Animal Central. I'm Jonathan Sinclair. Um, I'm running solo today. If you notice, there is a voice missing. Uh, Sharon Dale is not with us today. She will be back next week. But now I'm very excited. We always, when we bring an animal in studio, it's my favorite uh, part of the show. Uh, today, uh, our guest of honor is Jessie. Uh, she's a little rescued dog. And then, of course, we have Catherine Matthews from uh, Pets. Hey? That's correct, yes. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank First you. First of all, let us start. What is Pets? What are you all about? Okay. Pets is a... Um a benefit organization we rely solely on benefits from the public so it's a pbo and what it stands for is pet empowerment in townships there are about four of us that work in a group so um we spend it's totally voluntary 
So we all got full-time jobs. So it's only on weekends at night time, and we rely on fundraisers and that to help support us. So um, what we do is we go out mainly into Orange Farm and Walkerville, and we um, try and empower the, the public there and the people there to look after their animals and to help them and to give them medical and um, if they need any medical um medicines and that and then also to give them food and um, kennels and blankets just to make their lives a little bit easier that's the animals that is (laughs) well now what interests me about yours is i when i hear of an organization like yourself i picture you guys having a shelter and you were speaking to me on the couch outside and you're Mm. like no we don't have a shelter no it's solely on foster care that's correct we don't have kennels look we do in uh, drizek we have a halfway house and that's where we take in our dogs that need, um, let's say about 10 days um, medical care. So they come from the owners and they get treated and then they go back. Or if we don't have a foster home um, immediately, we put the dogs in there and then we go and fetch them and then we have to find a foster parent. The reason why we don't have kennels is we like a one-on-one um Interaction between the dog and the person So those dogs that do need to be rehabilitated We can use a foster mom And she'll work on their dog And then to be rehomed Or if they are going to go back If they've just been sterilized And there's not enough space at the vet Then they will care for them Until they're ready to go back to the owner in the township now, it must be difficult to find people willing to foster a dog. Oh, yes, definitely. How, how does that process happen? Um, do they have to not have other dogs or is there criteria? No, 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 not at all. They can have other dogs in that. We do keep them separate and if they have knowledge of integrating the, this dog, you know, a township dog or a township cat into um, their own dogs, then they sign up as foster parents. We do do home checks on them. They do have to fill in a foster form if they want to be a foster parent. And then they just look after them. We have to network for foster parents, which we do via Facebook. And then they approach us and we take it from there. All right. Now, how many people are involved in this whole project? I can imagine, like you say, you all have full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. You all have probably children and families. How do you fit this in and how many people are behind you? Four. Oh There's goodness. four of us that does the whole of Orange Farm and Walkerville. Uh, Nicole, Glenda, Laura, myself And then we've got other people do help You know, like voluntary We have spareathons So then we set out an email <laughs> like to everybody <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we send an email out to everybody Saying, look, we're having a spareathon Which means we take one day And we spend the whole day From morning till night Sterilizing, vaccinating and deworming dogs And mm. cats And then we get vets who volunteer Des and Sue from Avatar Vets, they come in and they help us. And then our own vets, they also sometimes volunteer. And, um, yeah, that's how we get, get people to help us. But we do rely solely on the public. Mm, you know, without mm. them, we just won't go anywhere. And it's difficult because our vet accounts are astronomically high. Mm. There's only, um, PBSA, which is the uh, pet uh, dispensary for sick animals that helps out in Orange Farm and Walkerville. The rest is up to us. And Highfeld Horse Care, they help the donkeys and the horses out there. So, yes, our vet bill sits sometimes between 40,000, 55,000 rand. Mm. And we just beg and plead. That's what we have to do. We rely solely on them because there is no other way that these people can help the animals. So they're going to call us by word of mouth. They will help us. Please come help our animal. It's been hit or it's injured or it needs medicine or it's got biliary. And we can't say no. 
So we will go out, bring them in, and the vet helps us out in that respect. Well, now you're dealing with underprivileged animals, but yes. that means you're dealing with underprivileged people. So, yes. like you say, they are the ones who are contact, contacting you. Mm-hmm. How do they know about you? How does this process begin that they... Look, it's all by word of mouth. They get to us because we go in and work hands-on with the community. Mm-hmm. And we educate. We also, when we have the spathons, we have a group where we teach the children. We have like a little school in the sideline where we teach the children how to care for the animals. So then we're by word of mouth, it starts spreading and it spreads and spreads. It's done so since we started in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um Pet started in 2007, Cape Town, and Joburg started in 2011. And then we've got a branch in Vitbank as well, and they started Michelle Locke. That started in 2012. How many dogs at the moment are you looking for homes for? Oh, golly. All in all, I think it's about that are in foster care at the moment. We've got about 12. I could be mistaken. I mm-hmm. stand to be corrected. And then we've also got about 13 in our halfway house. Mm-hmm. That needs homes or foster homes. And uh, I would imagine it's not only dogs. Do you deal with cats? Yes. Yeah. Um, I used to solely deal with the dogs. Mm-hmm. And now, because I didn't have cats as a foster parent and a rescue um, from our house, I only rescued reptiles and dogs. Mm-hmm. And then slowly it's gone on to cats. Okay. So we do have people, some of the foster parents who have cats, but mostly I take them in. But it is mostly dogs. Mm. They come in. If I wanted to become a foster parent, yes. What's my process? Do I just contact you? You contact. Get that form? Yeah, you get the form. You contact us, and um, you've got to fill in a form, foster form. We come and do a home check, mm-hmm. and see if you qualify as a foster parent, and uh, you take it from there. And then we keep you on a database. And should we need you, which will probably be within twenty four hours. Um, then we contact you and we bring you the animal and we go through the process of integrating with your animals. Do the people who are fostering also get an option to say, I, I don't want a big dog, I don't want to foster a cat, or, or is oh, it just yes. whatever animal shows yeah. up? No, we do ask them. We do mm. phone them and say, can you, are you able to? You know, we don't put the pressure on them. We don't make them feel obligated to do it, but our help is needed. There are never enough foster parents, mm. definitely mm. not. All right. Now, something that I think is really tough for these foster parents is when they fall in love with the animal. Oh, foster failures. Yeah, this is foster <laughs> yes. failures. Eh? Okay, so how do you deal with that then? Do you then say, okay, adopt the animal? or No, we do, definitely, if they mm. want to. But then you've got to have a mindset, and I think a lot of people in rescue have a mindset. If you adopt, you know, you're you can't closing, help another one. Yeah, you're closing the door to help another animal that's in desperate need, whereas mm. the dog or the cat that you have at the moment there could be a very good potential home for them mm. out there somewhere. And you deny a dog that really, really needs your care um, okay. now, help. I can picture at the SPCA when you go and adopt a dog, but now I suppose now that this dog is in foster care, you have mm. to go to this person's house to view the dog. So yes. it's almost you you kind of like an estate agent. You bring people around to view the dog, play with the dog, and That's see it. if they want to adopt it. That's right, yes. Really? Yeah. Lay out some cookies and <laughs> Yeah. You could if you want to, yeah. Okay. But that's how we deal with it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job to give up your, um, when you have looked after an animal for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But again, as I say, we, um, you've got to have a mindset to give them up to another potential home. All right. Now, what interests me about you is that you're very into reptiles. Yes. Now, it's a it's a very long journey from rescuing reptiles to now rescuing cats and dogs. I would imagine. Tell me about that process. How you you got to where you are? Um, well, actually, I was always repti- um, rescuing reptiles. I mean, I had them as pets when you were small, 
And then I got into exactly, um, well, <laughs> it's a difficult thing about pet shop selling um, reptiles. Mm-hmm. I got involved with banned animal trading mm-hmm. because they exploited all exotics are exploited, and when the novelty, when a child a child wants an animal, and they give it up, and then the novelty wears off. What happens to the bearded dragon? What happens to the iguana, the snake, the the spiders? They're sort of neglected, and they suffer terrible deaths. And um, I put it this way, both with dogs and reptiles, it's um, your backyard breeders or your any breeder. That um, breeds reptiles or dogs or cats I put it this way It's very harsh But it's true That they're prostituting their pets For their own financial gain If you imagined it in human terms That's what it would be And um, it's hard work It really, really is hard work Looking after rescue reptiles as well And um, I had dogs as well And when I think there was an article in the paper About um, dogs needing kennels and I got hold of Nicole from Pets and Laura, and I said, oh, I've got these kennels, and what more can I do? And your mindset changes totally when you get involved in animal rescue. It's not, you know, you believe, oh, my dog should have its first litter of puppies. Mm-mm. It's so beyond Can't that. It's like so that. untrue. Definitely not. I mean, if people really, really knew that one is euthanizing within Johannesburg and surrounding areas between 29,000 30,000 animals a month, It's a month, month, and that's just in the surrounding areas. And it's not just euthanasias, those who are suffering, those who are dying, those who are overbred, those who are not sterilized, that eventually die horrible deaths or given away. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. And that's why we are so pro-sterilization. And to sterilize, I mean, to sterilize an animal, you we charge 500 rand only, and we ask for sponsors just to sterilize one animal. But that stops the breeding process. Mm. I think that is the key, hey. But I really, yeah. uh, when you hear statistics like that, are we really making a dent in this problem that we have? I often get told, Kathy, you're flogging a dead horse. Mm. But I don't see it that way. You know, we've got the motto, um, saving one dog may not change the world, but for that dog, the world has changed forever. Mm. And that's mm. how you've got to look at it. I want to speak about uh, Jesse, who's here in the studio yes. with us. Uh, first of all, I was trying to figure out what kind of a dog Jesse is. Uh, yeah. Do we know? <laughs> <laughs> she kind of looks ridgeback. You know what? She's maybe. got everything. She yeah. could have Afrikaners in it. She could have football in it. She maybe. could have anything in it. You know? Well, she in her, I should say. She is a beautiful nature. Like she's gorgeous. Great nature. So placid and yes. so welcoming. But now I, I see she has had some sort of an operation and she is a rescue. Why don't mm-hmm. you tell us uh, Jessie's story? Okay, Jessie, we took her out of the township. To sterilize And that's what we do We do go in And we do bring the dogs out And get our vet to sterilize And we, as I say We find sponsors for them To sterilize Which is a 500 rand And then we take it back After um, they've sterilized And Jessie unfortunately Got Archie likes to jump And the, Well that's what dogs do Yeah they? And um, she managed to get out And she got hit by a taxi Oh gosh But by saving grace She never broke any bones She just had the whole flap of her skin Pulled off So mm-hmm. it was quite a hectic operation But she's 100% And she's up for adoption The owner doesn't want her 
So she's going up for adoption. Well, uh, we will put a photo of Jesse and, of course, all of us uh, up on yeah. our What You Missed page. Uh, you can go get the podcast and go see Jesse. Now, uh, how can people keep up with you, first of all? Oh, they can go onto our Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, JHB Pets, and also um, we on. If you go to our main page on Facebook, all our details are there. And what we are asking is we rely solely on donations, public donations to pay for the medical care for these animals and kennels and blankets. That's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the dogs in the township are not always protected by the weather elements. So they chained up Mm -hmm. and there's no protection. So we do ask out there, we do put public um, pleas out there for kennels and for blankets and monetary donations but that goes into our veterinary accounts. Okay, so ways mm. to help you can donate money, yeah, you can become a foster parent and I suppose also just with your time maybe if you need people to Voluntary, do some ground yes, work. yes, absolutely, mm. definitely and mostly on our spareathons and then also on the 16th of June at Saints Charity Shop on Bellies Drive, we have in a sale day mm-hmm. uh, Viv Saints has allowed us to, to have the shop for the day and then those donations will go to paying our vet account or part of it. Well, I imagine all those details will be up on your Facebook page. Absolutely. Okay. Everything is there. Alright, Catherine, thank you so much for pleasure. joining us. Alright, that's been another edition of Animal Central. Um, Sharon Dale will be back with us next week. Uh, we've spoken to Andres Fenter from the NSPCA about abattoirs. Uh, just Catherine Matthews from Pets. Uh, go to at uh, pets.org on Twitter. That's their Twitter handle. You can keep up with them there. And then, of course, thank you to Melissa Schreiber from the Dr. Mike Hardwich Foundation, which is in KZN. They also do amazing work with underprivileged animals. We will be back next week bringing you all the animal news. Have a great one. And like Sharon always says, give your pets a hug from us. Cliffcentral.com